right, how's everybody doing? Okay, that was okay. Well, how, how are we doing over in Pasadena and our online community? We are so happy to have more people with us than that are just in this room. We are so happy to have you guys. Um, what a privilege it is to be here with you. Um, it's a special day. Um, we're going to be uh, uh, addressing or talking specifically, having a conversation together about uh, the next generation. Um, and uh, middle and high school is sort of my heart. If you don't know me, my name is Daniel. I'm the student pastor here um, at the church. Um, every Thursday night over here in Elements Hall, we meet for about two hours from 6.30 to 8.30 um, for all middle and high school students. So uh, if you haven't been, come and check us out. Um, and, uh, and that applies to you over in Pasadena as well. And hey, if you're, on, if you're watching online right now and you live in the area, you're welcome too. So, um, uh, but before we really get started tonight, um, I want to do something uh, kind of fun. Um, maybe not for some of you, this won't be fun. But uh, oh, first off, I got some family here. Um, this is amazing to have them here um, from out of town. Um, I got uh, my wife in Little River. He'll be up here a little bit later if, you're, if we're lucky. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, before I, before I really get started, I want, I want to do something. I, if you are in high school or middle school, I would like you to go ahead and just stand right up in this room. If you're online and if you're in Pasadena, I want you to stand up if you're not already standing up. And I want us to give us a round of applause. Hey, guys, stay standing, stay standing, stay standing, because we're, we're all going to stand up with you here in a second. This, this, is, this is the next generation. This is the future. The future is now. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, and so if, if you could, with me as a church, over in Pasadena as well, if you could stand up together with us, and we're going to pray for these students of Lighthouse Church, okay, um, as we kick off our day today. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our hearts, what you're doing in our minds. Lord, thank you for transforming our minds. And, uh, and Lord, thank you for your son Jesus who saved us and, and gave us a purpose, and that is to uh, bring others into your kingdom. Lord, I pray for these particular students, these high school and middle school students, um, those online, those over in Pasadena, those right here in this room. Um, Lord, we, we pray that you would do a powerful work in their lives and that you would draw them to yourself and, uh, and truly make them leaders worth following um, uh, as we promote and proclaim your kingdom on this earth. Um, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, you can sit down, everyone. I'm not going to make the students stand up for the whole service. Um, uh, let me explain a little, uh, qu just quickly, how, how it's going to go. Uh, normally, a, a lighthouse sermon is like a three-point a three deal, you know, like where it's just kind of point number one, point number two, point number three. And it's an amazing way to capture um, information and remember it. And we're going to have kind of three points um, toward the end. So when, when we get to three points, they're going to be about shadows. When you, when you hear the three points about shadows, you know we're kind of on the home stretch. So I uh, just wanted to kind of give you that heads up so you don't think that, oh, we're just now starting and we're like, you know, almost done. So that's going to be kind of on the back end. But before then, really what I wanted to do for this first part of our time together is talk a little bit about our mission at Lighthouse Church and how that applies to uh, the, the generation of high school and middle school. Um, because uh, really, uh, we often separate, we, we just separate generations so much, and they're over there, and, and we're over here, and the kids are over there, but, but we are in this thing together. 
And, and, and the mission of Lighthouse Church to reach the lost and make disciples is one that applies to us all in our various contexts. So that's kind of where we're uh, going to go for the next little bit of time uh, together. So before we begin uh, on that journey, uh, let me read for you. Uh, Paul wrote this in Ephesians 3.20, and this is a sort of anchoring our time together. Paul uh, writes this, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You know, we serve a God just uh, to encourage you and to, and to challenge you with this thought. We serve a God who is not bothered by our tantrums. He's not bothered, um, uh, he's not thrown off by our confusion, our searching, our doubt at times. And that's good to know, high school students, when you go through uh, this time of your life, when you have a lot of different competing ideas. God's not bothered by that. He allows us to have questions. He allows us to search. Uh, middle school, he is always gently shaping you. He's gently working in your life. God is a God of love. He's a God of gentleness. So, so that's encouragement to us all. God's not bothered by when we throw our fits. You know, and it's really encouraging to me uh, because I can be pretty hard-headed at times. Um, I, you know, and it humbles me to know that God sticks with me when I get all jammed up, and when I get, when I throw like little hissy fits about things in my life, uh, or, or when I, when I get hard-headed, or, or if I'm, you know, just complaining about my life, or uh, I'm going through a rough time, and you know, when, when, if I'm humbled by that, it, it's humbling that I get to be a part of encouraging other people that God sticks with them as well, especially this generation. I know it can be confusing. I know it's hard. I know when you walk through the hallways of your schools, it is not just this time of, like, easy, you know, everybody accepts everybody. It's a dogfight out there. Um, and that's not to discourage. That's just reality. You know, but I see something in this generation. I see something in these middle school and high school students. And here's what I see. I see this rising generation. I'm looking at Miss, I love, I love Miss Vic just like, just constantly looking at me with encouragement. It's amazing. Um, love you, Miss Vic. Um, I see this rising generation like a garden with the best kind of soil. Everything you put in it grows fast and it grows strong. That's very that's very powerful, but it's also dangerous. You know, it, it's kind of almost ironic that, you know, to students, when you're starting to think about driving a car, that ideas try to take the wheel of your life and try to drive the vehicle of your mind. It's kind of, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a raw deal a little bit. Like, you're just trying to drive a car, and then everything else is trying to drive you. Um, you know... And at the, it's the age, but, you know, there's so many good things. It's the age of realizing that not just actions, but ideas do have consequences. It's the age that hasn't yet been tainted by years of bad habits. It's the age where empathy and compassion begin to mean something. It's the age of trying to make sense of the world. It's the age of learning who you are and who others are. It's the age of learning lessons the hard way sometimes. It's the age where getting knocked down simply means getting right back up most of the time. It's the age where anything is still technically possible. Technically. That's not the case in my life. 
I am, it is not technically possible for me to be a Major League Baseball player. As much as I want that, my body says otherwise, I can't do it. It's the age of enthusiasm and passion, figuring out what's worth caring about. I look at this generation. I look at you guys. I see you. I see you guys standing up. I see you. I don't see you, Pasadena, and online, but I know that you're there. I, uh, you know, I, I wanted to, but I couldn't. I couldn't make it work. Um, uh, you know, I look at this, and I'm like, wow, what a generation. What potential. And I know that many of you parents out there are thinking, well, I'm just trying to keep up with, like, trying to figure this thing out, the trends and the lingo that doesn't make sense anymore. I mean, like, are things catching on fire out there? Or, like, is there a lot of fires burning? Or is that just a cool thing? I mean, there's a lot of things happening in our world that we don't understand. And maybe some of you uh, might resonate with the, the words and the lyrics of the great Bob Dylan when he wrote, don't criticize what you can't understand. Your sons and daughters are beyond your command. Some of you might re resonate with that. And you're like, yeah, yep, you got it right, Bob. You knew that back in the 60s. Um, but you know what? Watch out, because actually that's more true than you might think. You know, parents, your sons and daughters are out of your command, but they are in the hand of God who can do infinitely more than we could ever ask or think. Never forget that. Never forget that, yes, there are certain things that are going to be out of our hands in, in the climate that we live in, but they are in, you, students, you are in the hand of God. You are in the hand of the God who loves you and who can do more than you can imagine. You know, it's a high calling. It's a high calling as parents and as, as those of us in the church who have this, this task before us to influence a generation created in the image of God with this much potential and capacity it, it, that has literally the ability to change the world. Can I get an amen? This generation can change and will change the world. They're the ones that are going to be leading it. Okay, so, so students, let me talk directly to you. Pasadena students, are you listening? Online students, I know you're listening. Don't take for granted that you have a church behind you. Don't take for granted that you have a community of Jesus followers surrounding you who are rooting for you, supporting you, challenging you, and preparing you for the years to come. Don't, don't miss that. Because don't look now. You're not the leaders of the future. You're the leaders of right now. And church, we are a part of leading the charge. And what is it that we're leading? We're leading the mission that Jesus gave us. Because the mission of Lighthouse Church, to reach the lost and make disciples, if you did not know that that was the mission of Lighthouse Church, now you do. So, um, yay. We all know the mission of Lighthouse Church. This is not something we sat around in a conference room uh, and made up on our own. We didn't get clever and say, this would sound good. It's got a nice ring to it. This comes directly from Jesus after he had died for the sins of the world and rose from the grave. And he was about to ascend into heaven and he gave his disciples a mission, a purpose. All, you and I all have a purpose, and here it is. This comes from Matthew 28, uh, and Jesus said this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
That last part is what inspires me, encourages me. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how tough or how confusing maybe life becomes, Jesus has promised that he will be with us all the way through it, all the way through it, this mission that he gave us. This, that making disciples, dealing with people in general, is it not going to be easy. People are not easy. You're not an easy person. I'm not an easy person. So when we're discipling, it's going to get tough. And Jesus says, I'll be with you, and I'll stick with you all the way through this mission and this purpose. So, our goal at Logic is to accomplish that mission, is to work on that mission. We do it in the climate of, of teen culture. We speak that language. We try to. We try not to get too cheesy. Or, you know, like sometimes you try too hard. That, right, Ryan? <laughs> you try too hard, it gets bad quick. Uh, you, know, you know that's right, students, when adults try too hard. Whew. Sad news. Um, but, you know, we try to do that, and we often group this mission into one, but it should really be two, um, because we say it kind of with this ring to it, this reach the lost, make disciples, but it's really reaching, and then once, once we're able to reach people, then we can disciple them and draw them deeper into a relationship with Jesus. So our Thursday nights at Logic, right over here in Elements Hall, 6.30 to 8.30, are our reach nights. So there are reach nights. This is where we create uh, an environment, or we try, by God's grace, we create an environment that is welcoming. Again, like Abby said, it's the friendliest place in town. We, we don't get it wrong. I'm, I'm sorry. We do get it wrong. That's the op on opposite day. We don't get it wrong. Oh, we don't get it right every single time, but we try our best to create an environment that's friendly and welcoming, and that says, you are loved and you belong here. That's our reach nights. We have worship, we have teaching, we build community, and then, for the first time ever, we are now pushing our discipleship aspect of the night, where we used to kind of like herd everybody into small groups at the end of the night, whether you wanted to or not. Now we're saying, you decide, you choose to be discipled and go deeper, and we're going to do those on Sunday, uh, late afternoons, early evenings, and those are available on our LH small groups page now. We have a middle school, high school, um, guys and girls, uh, small groups that you can be a part of. Because truly reaching uh, requires really the right approach. Really it, really, it really does. Building a healthy culture is our approach at Logic. And culture is kind of a hot word in our society today, and, we, and it, it bears uh, uh, kind of defining it. it. It's kind of worth defining it. Now, relationally speaking, when we're talking about building a culture at church, at, uh, in our family, at Logic, we're talking specifically about relationship culture. It's that feeling you get around a certain person. Relationship culture is the feeling it's kind of intangible at times. You don't really know what it really is. And you know, you know what, who does this really well in our society is Chick-fil-A. I mean, like, I'm just going to call out that name. Um, you know, I'm not doing it just because I'm at church and I, ha I feel like I have to. I'm just saying, when you walk into a Chick-fil-A, you feel something. You feel differently than nor most fast food restaurants, right? And it's a million little things. It's not just one thing right? It's just that vibe. They, it's, they're so friendly, and they act like they care about you. It's, it's almost like it's their pleasure to do it for you. Um, I, I had to say that. It was, I, knew, I knew it was cheesy. I knew it was bad. It just had to happen. Um, but you know what's crazy is that good culture is, is sort of all these little things that make up that culture. 
bad culture doesn't take any effort. Have you ever thought about that? Bad culture is what happens when you don't do anything. Bad culture, toxic culture, a work, a work environment that's toxic and bad is when it's just been neglected. You know, you've seen those pictures on Google if you look up abandoned homes, like a home, a mansion that sat for like, you know, 50 years or something like that with nothing done to it. It just falls apart. It just, nobody has to even be there. Untouched just falls apart. That's what happens to culture relationally. We start to decay and we start to lapse into bad habits and it's just so easy. Humans are really good at bad culture. We are very that's what comes naturally to us. Good culture, that's not fair, right? Bad culture, the bad culture being the, the easy, you know, that's not, not, it doesn't seem fair. It's kind of crazy. Good culture is something that grows over time, yes, but it requires us, you, me, being intentional. Okay, so it's something that grows, and it's intentional, and it's thoughtful, for the purpose of preventing bad culture that happens naturally. It's like a, you know, it's like bad culture is just waiting to happen as soon as we don't do anything to prevent it. One way to put this is like, uh, if, you, if you want to put this in like a culture axiom, if you will, you could say it like this, bad culture is involuntary, good culture is intentional. Bad culture is involuntary, good culture is intentional. So what is our desired culture at Logic? that culture that we must be intentional, that culture that we're trying to base in the heart and, and, and the mind and the thoughts and the life of Jesus. What is that culture that we're trying to cultivate at Logic that does require intentionality? Well, it would be something that looks like this. Somebody walks in the door of Logic on a Thursday night, and here is how the culture speaks to them. You are loved and welcomed here exactly as you are. The atmosphere is safe here. How many of you just want to be safe? You are valued here. People know your name here. You'll learn what God's love looks like here. God isn't shocked by your struggles here. Your leaders aren't shocked by your struggles here. People are kind here. You can take a deep breath here. You can make friends here. There's a good vibe here. There's joy here. There's purpose here. We have fun here. There are people to talk to here. Your faith will grow here. You'll learn how to follow Jesus here, and you don't have to be perfect here. See, our reach is as good as our culture. Our reach, how we connect, how we include people is as good as our culture. So can I ask you, LH family, here in the GB, over in Pasadena, and online, would you pray that the Spirit of God drives the culture at our student ministry? If we, try to, if we try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and come up with a bunch of clever ways to be friendly and things like that, we're going to do what comes naturally to us, and that's just like the lazy part that, that, that creates a toxic culture where it's all about us. But if the Spirit of God is driving the culture in our student ministry, I would say buckle up Lighthouse Church because they're about to go crazy up in this place and change this culture at Lighthouse Church for a culture for Jesus. Because, you know, it stands to reason a Jesus culture will make Jesus disciples. A Jesus culture makes Jesus disciples. 
So here's a personal question for you, but I'm also asking this to me. I always like to pretend at least that there's a mirror in front of me if ever I ask hard personal questions for you guys. Um, how is the Jesus culture in your home? What's that like? What's the center of your home? How's that culture? Do you try to emulate Jesus in your home? Do you relate before you react to one another? Do you speak the truth but in love to one another? Do you care enough about one another that you commit your time selflessly to one another? You know, it gives you the right to influence if that's the culture that you create. It'll give you that right. At the end of the day, discipleship must be desired, not forced. Again, I mentioned this before, if all of us were herded into a a room and required to to be discipled, that wouldn't be really work out that that well. We would kind of be like, okay, if that's what discipleship is, I'm out. It must be desired. Logic discipleship groups, our hope and our our, our passion for these is that we're going to take the experience of a Jesus culture on a Thursday night and move in the direction of a Jesus lifestyle throughout the week. This takes time, it takes trust, it takes those small circles, it takes that intentionality. You know, lately, I've been thinking a lot about discipleship. Uh, In the past several months, my desire to gain a deeper understanding of what that means has kind of grown a uh, deeper, deeper understanding of what it means to be discipled and to disciple. And, and largely that's coming from the fact that I'm, uh, I'm a dad now. And if you didn't know that, um, uh, I'm actually going to have River come on up here. Um, let's see how this works. Um, hey, buddy. <clears throat> Say hey. This is River. He's not going to be up here very long um, because... I don't know how long you can hold on to this baseball, but uh, I wanted to show you a couple things. Here's a couple of pictures of River. Um, there's, there's one. He's actually up here live, but uh, I had pictures because he wasn't here for other services. Um, here's another picture. Um, you can see how much he loves baseball. That's amazing. He told me um, how much he loved baseball. I didn't have anything to do with that. Um, I haven't said it like a thousand times to him, um, but do you like baseball? Do you like baseball? Yeah, that's what I say like 100 times a day. Do you like baseball? Do you like baseball? So he loves baseball, right? So, um, and then the third picture, the third picture is, uh, this is totally also uh, not a situation where my wife Hannah and I had paid a photographer to take our pictures. This was somebody just candidly took this picture. Just kidding. Um, This is us taking a walk in our neighborhood. And what I want to focus on is the fact that River is on my shoulders. And, uh, okay, so we we can say bye, River. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so, so River's on my shoulders. I'm going to leave this picture up for, for a second because, you know, River is learning so many different things right now. He's learning how to clap, which seems really impressive to us, um, even though that's what we all do whenever, you know, for our whole lives. Um, he's learning the sound of his voice. He's, he's learning to play copycat, like you'll do something, he'll do something, which is a very sobering thought for parents when you start to really realize the implications of that. Uh, and one thing is that he likes to ride on my shoulders. And recently he started being able to do this on his own, like I'll just hold his legs and, he, and he's not like just flopping around, which is really cool because he loves to be up there. And the thing about shoulders, him being on my shoulders, 
is I, I really started thinking recently about this, um, this idea that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a giant to him. Like, I am a massive human being compared to River, and I'm not really that big of a guy. But, but the thing about being on my shoulders, when I put him on my shoulders, is that River can actually see further than I can see. It's, it's, that's, that's crazy to think. He may not know what to do with the information, but he can still see further than me. And I have a friend who was getting this tattoo done on his arm, and it was like this tattoo sleeve, and, he, and, and, and it told this story, that, um, and, and, I, and I asked him about it, and, uh, and he said there's part of it that has this kind of arm of a giant that kind of wraps around his arm, and, and, he's, and I was like, where does that come from? And, and he said, really, it comes from that, that quote, that famous quote by Isaac Newton that says, if I've seen further, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. And you know, all of us have giants in our life. Somebody that we see, like that's the person to aspire to. All of us are a giant to somebody. Don't look now. You're a giant to somebody. Somebody is walking and looking at you as larger than life. And shoulders aside, you know, Isaac Newton quote aside, I believe that when we're talking about legacy and influence and discipleship, one of the things that's most attached to a giant is their shadow which is we're going to get to the, our title of today, really, is, is, is in the shadows of giants, because you and I are all giants to somebody, and we're in the shadow of a giant that we, that we see. We all cast a shadow, and we're all in somebody else's shadow. And that comes, that comes a few different ways. You can be in somebody's shadow naturally, just kind of like the person you live with or that you work with or that you see every day and you have no control over it. That's naturally, you're in their shadow, they're in your shadow. This happens strategically as well. I can put myself in somebody else's shadow intentionally and say like, hey, can you help me? Some people do that to us too. And then sometimes it happens accidentally. People pass into our shadow, they pass right back out. Many of you can probably resonate with the idea of, uh, of remembering a conversation you had with somebody that you met once and you've never seen again. Like, those are the types of encounters that we have with people where people enter into our shadow or we enter into somebody's shadow and they influence us. And so, so we're in a shadow and we're casting a shadow. So with our remaining time together, I'd like to devote at looking at discipleship and legacy in the terms of these shadows that we're in and that we cast. Because at the end of the day, we all want to make a positive difference. I don't know one single person in the world that on some level doesn't want to make a positive impact and a difference to other people. And when it comes to us in the church, we're trying so desperately to rely on the Spirit of God to, to, to teach us how to disciple other people for the kingdom of heaven, which will ultimately result in us being truly fulfilled and satisfied. That's what we all want. And it starts at a real young age. I mean, River, pretty soon, I would imagine, is going to start doing things like, look what I can do. Say so He's going to say things like, look what I can do. Watch this. Because we want, we want to make a positive impact. We want to make a positive influence on somebody else. And then inevitably, we start to say, you know what? Look what I can do. Let me show you how to do what I can do. It's almost like we're built in. It's almost like we're created to disciple other people. Isn't that amazing that we're almost made to do it? And I, can, I would say that most of us would say that the saddest thing in life is the opposite 
of making a positive impact, is to live uh, a forgettable, uh, insignificant, invisible life. Like that, that, that would be people's, you and I are one of our worst things that we could think about if we got to the end of our life and it was forgettable and invisible. So these shadows we cast and the shadows that we're in are worth paying attention to. And there are three attributes that I really want to land the plane on today when it comes to talking about discipling a culture of Jesus. They apply to our reach. They apply to how we disciple. Before we talk about those three um, attributes of shadows, let me read something that Jesus said in the Gospel of John. Jesus, wrote, uh, Jesus said this, and uh, John wrote it, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you have the light that leads to life. You know, Jesus' light, this is a, this is a, this is a claim that is, that is for us all that is just incredible to think about. Jesus is the light of the world. That's a bright light. That's a bright light to, to be the light of the entire world. Bright lights reveal everything. We can see clearly with a bright light. A strong light allows us that clarity, that vision. And you know what else a bright light does? It casts a shadow. So the question I have is, am I allowing the light of Jesus to influence my shadow? Am I allowing the light of Jesus to influence my shadow? So there's three things. Here we go. The first thing to really uh, contemplate and think as we talk about discipleship in terms of shadows is that your shadow doesn't need a big audience. This is, I feel like, uh, borderline a lie that we often believe, is that my, uh, in order to truly impact somebody, uh, your shadow doesn't need a big audience. Uh, in order to truly impact somebody, I must have a, a wide, uh, vast reach of a lot of people. Um, we see people that are standing on a stage, and they're talking to a, a thousand people or whatever, and we say, oh, that person has way more impact than I have. Well, I think many times we mistake the term impact with inspire. Um, impact is, uh, is much more powerful than inspiring a large group of people at once. Jesus sets examples for us in this idea of what it means to truly impact somebody's life, and not only their life, but the life of people around them. Um, many times in the New Testament, we read the stories of Jesus. The story of Zacchaeus, which T.C. referenced last week. He, he focused on the story of Zacchaeus last week. We're going we're to look about it a little right now because Zacchaeus is a prime example of somebody that Jesus impacted. Jesus is going through this town of Jericho. Zacchaeus is a hated person. He's kind of trying to stay in the shadows himself or kind of stay hidden, if you will. Uh, and Jesus has a throng of people around him. And Jesus looks up in that tree, and Zacchaeus is probably trying to keep a low profile. And he calls him out. And Jesus had an opportunity maybe by our definition, to impact a lot of people right now. Jesus could have given some credible sermon. He could have like, used some really good points. He could have really had his three points lined up to, to use Zacchaeus as an example for everybody. But instead, what did he do? He said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. We're going to hang out today. And Jesus hung out with one person. And Zacchaeus' whole family was changed, and the lives of hundreds were probably changed by Zacchaeus as a result of Jesus impacting Zacchaeus by inviting Zacchaeus into his shadow. 
Or what about the, the, the story of the woman at the well? Uh, if you don't know that story, it's Jesus had just performed these miracles, these crazy miracles, fed 5,000 plus people with, a few, with, with some bread, with a few loaves of bread and some fish. And he's passing through this part of town that nobody wants to go through, and he's like, let's go this way. So he and his disciples, and his disciples are probably thinking, like, what is this guy doing? We don't hang out with the Samaritans. Um, I don't know what he's thinking. This, I mean, come on, when are you going to do the next bread trick? You know, like, they're probably, I mean, he's like a, his fame is kind of being passed around the countryside. People know about Jesus now. And Jesus is like, hey, let's take this little detour. And he stops at this well. Disciples go off to go get more food. And, uh, and Jesus ends up having a conversation with a Samaritan woman, and she's got baggage, just like you and me, and just like Zacchaeus did. And he has this conversation with her. He's like, hey, you know, you're drinking this well, and you're drinking from this water, and you'll be thirsty again. You drink from the water, I'll give you. You'll never thirst again. He starts reading her mail to her, tells tell her all that she's done wrong, and she's like, oh my gosh, this is, he's probably going to, he's the rabbi, he's probably going to condemn me, all this kind of stuff, and Jesus instead gets personal with her, invites her into his shadow, teaches her the way to true life, and then her whole village is impacted by that one conversation Jesus had because he invited one person into his shadow. Your and my shadow doesn't need a big audience. And Jesus shows us that over and over again. Read through the Gospels and see how many times Jesus had one person that he impacted. There's hope for us all when we read these stories. Number two, the light you are in determines the clarity of your shadow. If I'm standing in a bright, sunny, sunlit field, my shadow is crystal clear on a sunny day with no clouds. You know, and it's like that with you and I when we stand in the presence of Jesus who said he's the light of the world. If we open ourselves up to him and we stand in that full light, our shadow is going to be clear enough for people to see and follow. Now, if and similarly, if you walk on a cloudy day, you're, you can kind of see your shadow sometimes, but it's very blurry. Very blurry. You can't really define it. Um, so weak light produces weak shadows. And I was lying in bed a couple of nights ago. I didn't tell you this. Um, and I was basking in the light of my phone, um, um, just like staring at it, you know. And I, and I had this thought as I was kind of thinking about preparing talking about light and shadows and things like that, and, and the thought was this, and I'll get personal and I'll ask you the same thing. Is the, is, the, is the light of your phone the brightest light in your life? That's convicting, right? Because uh, last time I checked, my cell phone light doesn't cast a big shadow. It doesn't, like, the glow of it. Uh, and, 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 and really, uh, is that the strongest light? It, it was a thought that I had, and we'll move on, but it just, just something worth thinking about. When we live our lives outside of the light of Jesus, our shadow is going to be weak. When we're not walking in the light of Jesus, those in our shadow are left guessing what to follow. Especially people who are trying to look to us to help them 
navigate this world and how to be a Christian and what does it mean to follow Jesus. And, and, it, and if we spend all of our time outside of the light of Jesus and yet we're like, yep, yep, I'm a Jesus guy, um, and, and, and they can't see our shadow because we we're not in the light. Or what about the shadow that I am standing in? Am I following people that are walking in the light of Jesus? So their shadow is clear for me to see them. You know, you know, you know what strikes me, and I'll speak directly to uh, you high schoolers and middle schoolers and myself and everybody in this room, but specifically to you guys, um, how many times do we kind of like want to wear the label of being a Christian, but everybody that we follow has nothing to do with Jesus? Like the people that we aspire to, the people that we're really hunkering down in their shadow, and we're really, you know, we're just like relying on them for our security and for our shelter and for our safety, our emotional health and things like that. They don't follow Jesus, and yet we're still trying to hang on to our, you know, our, you know we're, we're trying to be a fan of Jesus somehow. Are the people that you're following, I'll ask you this, church, I'll ask myself this, are the people that I'm following following and standing in the light of Jesus? Are they casting a Jesus-produced shadow? You know, it's a, it's a fair warning, too, because your shadow will be consistent with your life if you stand in the light. You know, my sh I don't get to determine what my shadow looks like. My shadow reflects exactly what is produced by the light. So that's, that's kind of a, a risky uh, thing, and we're going to get to risk in a second. Your shadow is, is a reflection, not a projection. We don't get to project what our shadow looks like. It, it simply looks like what our life is if we are in the light. And we spend a lot of our time trying to control what we look like to other people. You know, we, we try to shape our lives to where our shadow looks like something. But here's the thing. Here's, here's the deal with that. Like when we post things and we get the sun flare with the sandwich and, you know, but we're really, you know, kind of like jammed up and we're miserable in our day and we had a rough day and we're depressed and we just need, we need people to encourage us, but we're trying to make ourselves feel better by projecting our shadow um, out there for people to look at. But here's the deal. There's a, there's a passage of scripture that I think is very encouraging. Uh, it's the passage where, where God tells the prophet Jeremiah to go visit a potter. And he, he just tells him to go do that. And so Jeremiah's like, okay. And so he goes and visits a potter. And the, and the potter is at the, at the wheel, and he's forming this clay. And it was, a, it was kind of a messed up piece of clay. And the potter softens the clay, and he reshapes it, and he molds it. And then this is what God says to Jeremiah, and he's telling it to the children of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to this clay? As the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hands. You know, when we're standing in the light, our shadow reveals God's work in our life, or it reveals what God, what we, we're not allowing. We, we put up shells. We're really, really good at sort of getting callous and we'll, we'll, we'll like inch into the light or we'll just stay in the shadow, we'll stay kind of in the darkness out of the light, you know, because we don't want to, we don't want that, the light and the warmth of God's love to soften our hearts and to shape our lives because we, we, we are seizing autonomy and we're taking control of our lives. And, we're, and you know what? We, we find the more we try to shape our life and the more we try to be the potter, that we're just not that good of potters. We're not a good potter. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, 
I don't know if you've ever tried pottery. I'm sure it's very hard. But I feel like many times what we do is we try to say, okay, the, I don't like the way I look or I don't like the way, you know, my shadow looks. Um, so I'm going to try to fix myself. I'm going to try to do these things. And, and we don't really know how to be a potter because God is the potter of our life. Not you, not me. So I got to ask you this question. When we st- well, a, a, when we steal that role, we find out we're not good potters, but really what the question is, is are you standing in the light of Jesus, church? Are you standing in the light of Jesus, and is your shadow defined by God's work in your life? So the shadow that people are following is because God has shaped you. So it's kind of a two-part deal. We have to allow God to shape us, and as we continue to be in his light, our shadow reflects something that points people to Jesus. Can I encourage you, Lighthouse, Pasadena, online campus, that God isn't scared of your current state. He's not scared. He loves you. He wants you to live in the light of his son. Pastor Sammy said something the other day in a staff meeting. He said, when we stand in the presence of God, that warmth softens us. It softens us because we are hard. We put up our walls. We, we put up our shells. So, and we just, we hope we can stand in the light and just stay the same. We hope we can just be us. But what happens is that he, he softens us and he molds us and he shapes us. And what we find is that he'll shape you into someone with a shadow that shows love, joy, peace, kindness, and all the attributes of Jesus that come from his spirit. And finally, here's the last one. The last attribute of a shadow that we'll focus on today, there are other attributes, is that casting an impactful shadow involves risk. It's risky. If you and I desire, if you desire, if I desire a shadow that impacts other people, a legacy that impacts other people, a, a, a form of discipleship that impacts other people, it will include risk. You know, standing in the light is risky. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like certain lights in the morning. I turn on a bright light in the morning, I'm like, ooh, let's keep it, a little, let's keep it darker in here. You know what I'm saying? Standing in the light of Jesus is risky. You're gonna, you're gonna, what, you're, he's going to reveal, he's going to reveal your weaknesses. Allowing God to shape you is risky because, you know, it's uncomfortable sometimes when he, starts to chip away at those hard parts of you and shape you into to his child. Being obedient to the Holy Spirit and allowing God to show you who to disciple is risky. It may not be the person you want to disciple. We want easy people to disciple. That's not how it works. It's risky to, to venture over to that person that you see standing in the light of Jesus and to be discipled yourself. It's risky to go into those shadows. It's risky to fall under their influence and and see what God does in your life. It's risky. And it's risky to invite that one person into your shadow that you feel prompted to invite. I would ask you to start thinking about that person now. The moment of God's prompting where you have to choose to speak truth, get personal, be uncomfortable, it's risky because we don't know what's going to happen. That hasn't happened yet. That's the nature of not knowing what's going to happen. It's the nature of risk. It's because we don't know what's going to happen. But here's what does happen. 
Here's what we see throughout Scripture. Here's, who, uh, here's what we see for countless of testimonies here at Lighthouse Church, over in Pasadena as well, um, on the Eastern Shore, all across Anne Arundel County, what God is doing here. What we see time and time again is that if we stand in the light of heaven, as people have found out, and we take the risk of obedience to God, that God draws near to you. When we draw near to God, God draws near to us. And we find that God's not as scary as you, as you thought he might be. He's going to gently love you. He's going to gently shape you. He's going to encourage you. He's going to convict you. Yes, it might get a little uncomfortable, but the love, unspeakable joy, peace that passes understanding, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that comes from the Spirit of God will be present in our shadows and serve to point others towards the matchless wonder of God's love. So hear, so hear me, church. If this is what happens when we take the risk, if this is what happens when we say, okay, it's risky to have an impactful shadow, if the, if the result of stepping out into the light of Jesus is the love and the peace and the joy of Jesus, I'd say it's worth the risk. I don't know about you. I'd say, I'd say it's worth the risk. Would you pray with me as we end tonight? Or this morning, tonight, whatever. Father, thank you so much for your love and for your, your presence and the warmth of your light that you shine. Thank you for giving us light. And Lord, I pray that as the effect of that light on us produces shadows, that those shadows would be, the, would be because we've allowed you through studying your word, through listening to your voice, that still small voice that happens to us, to shape us and to mold us. And then when we stand in your light, our shadow, that we invite people in or that people are in accidentally even, will be one that just shouts and proclaims the victory in your, of your kingdom. And Lord, I pray for these students that are in this room, these middle school students, these high school students that are over in Pasadena, that are watching online right now, that you would, your Holy Spirit would convict them of, of a need to be shaped by you. And then to wait and expect to experience the love that comes from you. And Lord, I thank you for this opportunity today. Lord, we... Uh, we pray uh, for a lighthouse church that you would control and, and define and to shape the culture of love and that, that those who enter these doors would be at home because they belong in your family. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.